Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, January 20th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. We're at chat about the NFC Championship game between the Buccaneers and the Packers, AFC Championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs, then talk some college basketball on today's show, looking at conference specialization, and then a deep dive into the Big Ten Conference here for the remainder of the week. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on over there. I got a golf preview of the American Express posted over there. We're covering the top sportsbook promotions here in the business. Uh, Good ones from DraftKings for UFC 257. Good ones from BetMGM for this weekend here in the NFL playoffs. So we're taking a look at that, along with what's happening in all the different states that have legalized sports betting. And of course, picks and predictions across all of the major sports going on, ranging from the NHL to the NBA to college basketball, and of course, our continued NFL coverage over there. So head on over to ATS.io and check all that stuff out. Or you can download the ATS app, which has full article integration from the website. That app available in the Google Play Store, also in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. Like I said, the full article integration from the website a stats database that'll help you handicap the games. And if you want, you can subscribe to the premium model in there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month for that, all in the ATS app. Make sure you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. And Kiev, how's it going today, man? Oh, it's great to be back, Adam. Doing well today, my man. We're midweek here. Lots of stuff going on in the sports world. Absolutely. Plenty of stuff to talk about here on today's show. And uh, let's go ahead and dive right in and take a look here at the championship games, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Buffalo, and Kansas City. And I'll pose the same question to you that I asked Brian Blessing on yesterday's show when we started talking about these games. Any surprises with these four teams as far as you're concerned? Well, if you look at the quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, should we be surprised here? You know, and uh, uh, Buffalo with Josh Allen having just a phenomenal year. No, I'm not surprised. Uh, You know, a couple ATS losses I had uh, hit some totals last week, but I was a little surprised that the Packers were able to stick it to the Rams the way they did. You know, a couple injury surprises with Cooper Cup. I thought he was going to play. I thought that uh, Aaron Donald was completely shut down. And to be honest with you, I- I'm trying to figure out if that was his just injury or maybe is that Packers offensive line really that good? Because, uh, I mean, they manhandled the Rams. They did what they want with them. And uh, I was shocked. I thought uh, the New Orleans side, I thought they were the better team. They just, uh, the quarterback position did not pan out for them that game. Of course, uh, a couple other players messed up, but they had their opportunities. They just couldn't throw uh, the seam route well. They couldn't throw deep. True Breeze's arm looked a little bit, uh, let's just say, uh, sore. (laughs) Sore for the last two years, probably. But um, either way, I thought that uh, Tampa Bay did a fine job to be able to stop the Saints. They, they, they were able to read Drew Brees and get those interceptions. And that's, that's important the way that they did that. And that's just because uh, they have a great leader there in Tom Brady. So as we take a look at that game, I actually want to start with the total here in this one first between the Buccaneers and the Packers 51, the predominant number starting to see some stray 51 and a half show up out there at some of the public books out there in the global sector. Most of the U S books sitting at 51 here, but last week, 
that Tampa Bay New Orleans game, I talked multiple times on the show that I thought the under was the play in that Bucks Saints game, that the under would take some money in that one, and it never did. And of course, it wound up very much being the right side, both teams under five yards per play. So hopefully, listeners were able to cash on that one. But it was extremely surprising to me, Kiev, that that total never came down. And in fact, even went up a little bit to 53. And here in this game, we saw maybe some weather speculation on Tuesday or something like that that kind of pulled it down to 50 and a half. Now we're back to 51 across the market. And it looks to me like maybe the over is again the preferred side in a Buccaneers game here. And and it's a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Well, especially because the over wasn't, it it should have been that close last week. You know, if it wasn't for those turnovers, from Breeze, I think this was a dead under game, but Breeze really set them up. One, one of his interceptions came all the way to the one yard line. I mean, the next two plays or so, Tampa got seven points there. You know, that shouldn't have happened, right? And uh, I, I was on the under last week, just like you uh, leaned last week. And, uh, you know, I sent that out to just members only. And uh, that was one of the ones we cashed. But looking at this, it's, it was weather driven for sure at first. And that's what you have to look at. But, you know, Green Bay, they play in the north, they play in the cold, they play in the tundra, they play in the snow. You know, they know how to play, and I think they're going to get their points. The question is, is Tampa Bay going to get their points? You know, one thing you will get with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers is probably low turnovers. You're probably not going to see four turnovers like we saw last game. You're going to see maybe one turnover from the quarterback position. Not sure if anyone's going to fumble the ball or anything, but you know, that's not good for the over if they're not turning the ball over at him. So as we take a look at the side here for this one, I, I thought you made a really salient point last week. And, you know, obviously uh, New Orleans minus four and turnover margin, a big reason why they wound up losing that game. But one of the things that you talked about was you thought that Tampa Bay was a little bit overvalued, a little bit overpriced and, and certainly overvalued in the metrics community, specifically with regards to DVOA because of the first matchup between these two teams with Tampa Bay winning in convincing fashion, got a Rodgers pick six, ran back a pick to the two-yard line. That was basically 14 easy points for them. So I thought that was a really interesting point that you made last week about the regular season meeting between these two teams. What do you think happens here in this one with Green Bay minus three and extra juice across the market? Well, this is really interesting because you have that data point, but was it a really an outlier on what Green Bay did? I mean, I think the next week they went to the Saints and beat the Saints, which I still think is a better team. I'm sticking with my thoughts that they are too high at DVOA. I, I still think that, and I still think if there wasn't four turnovers, you might see New Orleans in this position here. Now, one thing that does concern me, maybe Tampa Bay is just that team that matches up well. You know, you see that in college basketball. You know, you see that in football. If a team just knows how to stop a certain team in their schemes, I mean, it's just a bad matchup and they could lose, right? That's what that's what's got me scratching my head a little bit. But one thing I will say is that Tampa has some serious weaknesses, especially when it comes to the passing game, right? I mean, their pass defense allows 246 yards per game Green Bay, you know they can throw the ball with Rodgers. The thing about you have to look at Rodgers is not the fact that they're 10th in passing yards at 259 because they run the clock in the fourth quarter. What you look at 
is that they're second in yards per attempt at 7.8 yards per attempt. That means they could pile on points throughout the whole 16 games of the regular season, but didn't just to get on to the next week. Green Bay can pass the ball. Green Bay can run the ball. Tampa's strength is against the run, but you saw Kamara get some yards against them last last week, right? So apparently uh, there's a matchup factor here that does favor Green Bay. Now, one thing that Tampa that could give Tampa a shot is if they get to Aaron Rodgers, right? That's that's what I think is the matchup we have to look at because Tampa Bay was third in pressure rate, which is pretty good in the NFL. If you're third in pressure rate, fourth in sacks, that's going to screw up the other team. But Rodgers this year, for some reason, he has been very good under pressure, kind of Mahomes-like. He's finding some receivers, and I might have a prop bet to talk about because of that later, Adam. Well, and as we look at Green Bay here, I like what you said that, you know, this is a team that probably could have put the boots to more of their opponents, but wound up not having to do that. And, you know, they wound up being very efficient in the running game over the course of the year. Only 28 rush attempts per game, but nearly five yards per carry for this ground game. And, you know, a big part of that is exactly what you said. They played from in front. They had an average lead, including last week's game, an average lead of 8.5 points per game at halftime. Tampa Bay on the other side, they led their opponents by 2.1 points per game at halftime. So Green Bay didn't have to play a whole lot of fourth quarters. They got out in front. They were one of the best second quarter teams in the NFL this year, and they were able to play from in front in the second half. And I think that's kind of what you look for here in this one is does Green Bay get out, get that quick start in the first half, have that really good second quarter, and then kind of sit on things in the second half, which has been their recipe for success throughout the year on the other hand if Tampa Bay has the good first half and that kind of throws Green Bay out of their game plan a little bit the downside for Tampa Bay is then you just wind up getting more of Aaron Rodgers which is you know a very hard way to try and win a football game so you know one of the things that we've kind of talked about in the past you know back when this was bang the book radio uh with the context of UFC sort of talking about paths to victory you know can a guy get a knockout can a guy get a submission can a guy win by decision? I sort of look at this thing and I see a lot of different paths to victory for Green Bay. I don't see those same things on the Tampa Bay side. Yeah, Tampa Bay, in order to come back in a game, sometimes you'll get some frustrate or some frustration from Tom Brady and he'll throw some picks once in a while. I mean, one thing that Tampa does have going for them is they do have a lot of weapons. If you saw last week, Guys like Scotty Miller were catching important passes. Guys like Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, rookie this year, making great plays. So if the Packers can't get to Tom Brady and he's of allowed to be chucking the ball and completing these passes, then it's going to be a little bit more nerve-wracking for the Green Bay side. Now, Green Bay was good last year in getting sacks, but they're only 23rd in pressure rate. 20.4%. So that is one concern I have. But at the same time, Green Bay has the best home field advantage in all of football. I mean, ask any Detroit Lions fan that, what they think about uh, Green Bay's home field advantage, and you'll probably get uh, a, a long answer on that. But um, Green Bay is going to keep up. If you even remember last year in the San Francisco 49ers, when they lost to the Niners, the Niners jumped them like 31 to 
to zero. There was a point at the end of the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, that Aaron Rodgers was just chucking the ball. Adams was catching everything. Valdez Scantling, guys like that. And they I, they brought that game into the over. So, you know, if, if Tampa's going to be able to complete a lot of these passes and uh, Green Bay's not going to get to Brady, I think the over is definitely going to be in consideration here, Adam. So from a side standpoint, I feel like I've got a good idea where both of us are going on this game. But just for confirmation here, are you laying the three with some of the extra juice on Green Bay or are you kind of waiting for this number to maybe come back down a little bit? Yeah, I'm surprised it went down, to be honest with you. I, I actually am laying the three. I laid it at three and a half and uh, I think it was a minus 105 or something earlier in the week because I thought it was just going to keep going up. But I just didn't anticipate how many people were going to be on Tampa and Brady. Um uh, against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they should be remembering some of the, the bad things that Tampa's been doing along with the good, but it's just Brady. It's Brady, Brady, Brady taking all this money. But um, I think the better bet, even Adam, is Green Bay at the first half. Now, uh, we've talked enough about how good LeFleur is, obviously, but uh, that's what Green Bay does. They scheme in the first half, they beat you, they get ahead of their opponent. They're going to do that again, in my opinion. I think Green Bay is going to win at the half. And now you got a minus two and a half, which is a key number, right? Three is a key number no matter where you're at. Because there's halves that are 13 to 10. There's halves that are 14 to 10, 20 to 17. All over the board, 17 to 14, right? I think, I think that's a better bet in the first half, Adam. But I will take both sides. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. The one thing that worries me, I, I saw somebody on Twitter talking about, you know, Mike Pettin and how much his defense struggles with the two-minute drill, specifically right before halftime. So that's something I guess I would kind of watch for here, sort of seeing, you know, who winds up with that last possession of the first half. Maybe that's a good live betting opportunity, something like that, maybe a live over, uh, you know, one of those kinds of things. But I, I agree with you. I mean, just Green Bay, the way they script games, the way LaFleur has these guys coached up, I think you have to like them in the first half here, and I do like them for the full game as well. You did mention that there was a prop that you had your eye on for this one, so what's that all about? Well, there's there's two props, and I think that, first of all, I really like Green Bay's secondary. I like Jari Alexander, Josh Jackson in the slot, you know, King. They're very good at guarding receivers, very good. But what that's going to do is it's going to force Tom Brady to have to throw into the flat. Believe it or not, Leonard Fournette last year was one of the top pass-catching running backs for Jacksonville. You saw him catch a bunch of balls last week as well. And what do the Saints do? Great defense, right? They stop, they stop the pass as well. I think there's going to be some opportunity for Tampa to throw the ball to him. You know, I think that Leonard Fournette, and his catches prop, his receptions prop, you might get two and a half, three-ish, something like that, might be a very good play here. And he was a key part of that win last week against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So I like that part. As far as the Packers side, I like Robert Tanyan. I think that Tanyan is a great bet to score a TD. The way you look at it is like this. Tampa's got the best rushing D in the league. Plus, by the way, Vitavea is eligible this week to come off IR. I don't know if he's going to play, but he's eligible. I don't know how healthy he is, but he could be a depth guy as well. So that just makes them even beefier on the line, which means Robert's going to, Roger's going to be looking for that big target. Robert Tanyan, 
he has 11 TDs this year, which is tied with running back Aaron Jones, second to Devontae Adams. I like Tanyan scoring a TD, and I'm seriously going to consider Tanyan over his yardage prop as well because uh, I don't like how Tampa defends the tight end. I like both of those. And, and you know, you mentioned Green Bay and, and their low pressure percentages. They still were tied for 10th in the NFL in sacks. So this is one of those teams that they don't blitz a lot. Their blitz percentage under 25% this year. They don't get a ton of pressure, but they wind up with some coverage sacks, which gives, you know, Brady the opportunity to find Fournette out there in the flat as things kind of break down as he goes through his progressions and doesn't find anybody. I think this is a great opportunity for Fournette to be a huge factor in the passing game. So really like both of those props there from you, Kiev. Let's go over to the AFC championship game here where, hey, look, truth be told, I know it's Wednesday. You know, we're inching closer and closer to this game. Still a very difficult handicap because we don't know what the status of Patrick Mahomes is. The line implies he will play, and the line implies that he will probably play at about 85 or 90%. And that seems like a pretty fair assumption to make right now. Kansas City minus three with reduced juice. Total has gone back up a little bit to 54 here which again, I think does imply that Mahomes will be in the lineup. Yeah, I would be shocked if Mahomes doesn't play this game. I mean, they already set it up that it's not a concussion, and maybe it wasn't, you know, but at the same time, it's a lot nicer to hear that he's not going to be as looked at for, you know, brain injuries and things like that, and rather it was just a type of neck stinger. So, uh, I mean, just because of that itself, is a setup for him to play. I I mean, as bad as this sounds, and I'm not saying I agree with it, I would think the guy would have to be half brain dead to not play the AFC championship game here. I think they're going to make have him play, and I think he's going to want to play. I saw him run off the field. He looked pretty good when he did that. He was tweeting immediately after the game um, about how how well Henny did in that in the clutch situation there, getting that first down and what a what a ballsy call, by the way, by Andy Reid. But threw it to his best receiver, Tariq Hill, is an easy dink and dunk type throw. You know why not? Why not throw it there? I guess if it doesn't work, he'll get killed. Uh, I guess if he ran the ball, he went to get killed as much in that position. But it secured the win. It didn't even give uh, the Browns a chance. But uh, you know, I think this might only motivate him even bet more this week because Mahomes knows that they almost lost it there. And uh, they're going to have to put up some points at him. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at that game last week, I mean, the Chiefs, and I talked about this on yesterday's show with Brian Blessing, it was 19 to three at halftime, and it could have been a whole hell of a lot worse for Cleveland. I mean, Kansas City left points on the field. Butker missed a field goal. Uh, You know, they missed an extra point on their first touchdown. They left at least four points on the field in the kicking game, not to mention kind of getting bogged down in the red zone a little bit, kind of getting bogged down in some of those scoring areas. They could have easily hung 40 on the Browns if Mahomes sticks around for that game. You know, and, and the foot injury, I think, is, is a lot more of a concern to me than whatever happened with the head and neck area going into this game. So I thought Kansas City offensively, you know, even though things kind of sputtered a little bit in the second half, they looked really good when they had to, built that lead, held onto it, had seven yards per play in that game. The thing is, though, the Browns are pathetic at the second level. I mean, their linebacker group is, is awful. I mean, they are extremely bad. That's one big difference here in this game is that Buffalo's linebacker group 
is pretty outstanding across the board. Milano is an exceptional player and a pretty good linebacker in coverage. Trey Edmonds is a great run stopper. AJ Klein, you know, a good guy to have uh, kind of in reserve or sort of playing, you know, the off linebacker position, whatever else. That's the thing is I wonder how Andy Reid attacks this Bills defense where the weaknesses aren't as obvious as they were with the Browns. Well, Andy Reid's going to probably run the ball, you know, and, and the reason that is is because of their success from last time. I mean, Edwards Alaire had over 160 rushing yards and like 27 rushing attempts last game. Now, I know a lot of that was in the fourth quarter when they were closing out the game, but this game went under. You know, if what's interesting about these two matchups, both these teams played each other this year. You know, I think that's really cool. But um, I also think the, the Bills were in a bad position. They just got really beat by the Titans that week before. Their defense was really banged up, too. And, uh, you know, uh, some, something that the Chiefs did confused Allen, and uh, he wasn't as good that game. But uh, there might be another prop for, for uh, what happened uh, <laughs> compared to what happened last game for this game as well, just to tease your listeners a little bit. But I think that the Bills cheat up on a run like they did last week against the Ravens. They're going to get torched. You know, yes, they have some good linebackers. But, I mean, can anybody really stop Kelsey? What makes Kelsey dangerous is when Mahomes extends the play, he does that little hook off. And it's almost like Mahomes can shut his eyes and throw the ball into where Kelsey's going to be. And Kelsey knows he's getting the ball when he does that hook when Mahomes extending the play. I think that's really important. But, uh, you know, the Chiefs would have to be nuts to not try to run the ball uh, or at least set up the pass because it worked so well for the Bills last week. Heck, it's almost like uh, the Bills followed exactly what to do to, for, to a team, make Lamar throw the ball. Well, uh, the Chiefs throwing the ball is a lot more dangerous. I am concerned a little bit for Mahomes. I mean, if you get rattled, you get rattled, right? Um, there's some information about his toe that that could hinder him a little bit. And I, I personally don't have enough information to know that. I, I just have to assume that if Mahomes is playing, he's going to be playing with a shot in his foot and playoff caliber is the way I have to think. But um, the Bills hole is against the run. And uh, the Chiefs run the ball really well 4.5 rushing yards per attempt so that's the way I think Reed's going to attack them yeah I think there are a lot of different ways that, that they can try to attack in this game and you know obviously too you've got a player like Tyreek Hill that you can use as an extension of the running game if you want to kind of stretch that defense sideline to sideline and I think that's kind of the play here for Kansas City it's what they do well you know spread the other team out give the other team a lot of different things to look at a lot of guys to try and defend Maybe Sammy Watkins is able to go in this game finally. Who knows? But I think Kansas City does those things really, really well. When I look at this game, though, as good as these two offenses are, I'm starting to talk myself into playing the under here for this one. And I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to wait and let you know Mahomes get cleared and let this total kind of go back up a little bit. But I don't see a ton of explosiveness out of either offense here. I just see a lot of efficiency. You know, I think Andy Reid's going to try and pull a Bill Belichick, try to take away Stephon Diggs as much as he possibly can. You know, obviously Baltimore didn't have much success doing that last week. But I think that's going to be the hope is, you know, sort of play this, keep everything in front of us. Really the bend but don't break style the Chiefs have played all year long defensively. And I think Buffalo is going to try to do a lot of the same things here with Kansas City. So I think we get some really long sustained drives here. I don't know if we get a ton of tempo from either team. 
I don't think we get a lot of stops, but I don't think we get a lot of possessions in this game either. So it's kind of got me thinking, you know, maybe in that 27, 24 type of range. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not with you on the under. Uh, I, these are two of the best offenses next to, you know, the Packers probably. And I mean, probably in the whole league, (laughs) Tennessee's got a good offense. Right. But uh, I just, I just think there's a very good chance that you're going to see shootout in the fourth quarter, Adam. I do like what you're thinking though. So you got me thinking about the first half under, but I also think that there's a very good chance it can go over the 53 and a half towards the end. And it really depends upon Mahomes' health. I would wonder if the rushing prop on Mahomes under might be in play here because I wonder if they're going to even bother running him after that massive scare. They might even tell him not to run. Of course, if they're losing the game, it's all a different story. But, uh, you know, that's that's one I was thinking about looking at. But, you know, from a power ratings perspective, I have them 2.5 points better on a neutral field. I got to give two, two and a half for Kansas City. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of low on it. I think I think the minus three at even money is probably some value right there. You know, and that's the play that I think is uh, is, is the best. And I'm sorry, I, I, my heart wants the Bills to win so bad. And I'm okay with losing this path to Bills win. I want to see the Bills in the Super Bowl. I went to a Bills game two years ago. What a fun atmosphere. Had a blast at Merchant eating the, the original Buffalo Wings. What a, what a great city, man. And it's got football over that town. I want the Bills to win, but I have to think with my brain here. You got the Chiefs here at minus three on even money at home. When the heck are you not going to take that? You're going to probably kick yourself if you don't and you see the Chiefs become the Chiefs. So um, I, I kind of like the side here, minus three, and I'm going to lean to the over on the total. I, I'm a, I actually made a small play on the over, but I think the first half under could be in play as well. You know, I've been known to bet full game overs and first half unders. One thing that you have seen last week, the under was very hot. I think the under hit in at least three games. Was it all four games, Adam? I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think all four games. So, you know, people are going to think playoffs under. Well, this is desperation time. And, uh, and, and I think there's going to be some points and I'm not seeing a bunch of wind in either of these games as well. So, um, you know, not as strong as I thought, you know, when the first lines first came out, but, uh, I'm looking at the over, but I think the chiefs at minus three is probably a better play Adam. It was three of the four, the Packers Rams game did go over the total. Uh, and that was one that was a very popular underplay as well with Jared Goff going to play in the cold weather and, and all that. But that one did uh, wind up creeping over the total green Bay with a fourth quarter touchdown uh, that pushed that one over. Right. Um, I like Kansas City minus the three here as well. And, and the one thing that does concern me about sort of taking, I don't even want to call it a contrarian position just because this total has gone down a little bit since the open. The one thing that does concern me about this total is that let's say Buffalo does have a lead in the second half. They cannot run the football. So they're going to have to either pass to win and try and secure the victory, or they're going to fail with that and wind up giving the ball back to the Chiefs which you know could be kind of a concerning spot for them. So from a game state standpoint, I do worry a little bit about that as far as the full game total goes, which kind of lends some credence to your point of maybe a slow start and a first half under. But then in the second half, whether Buffalo's trying to secure the win or come back, they probably have to throw the football either way. So maybe that does make some sense on your end there. Yeah, it, it, great point. Great point. I'd even think of it that way. But uh, you also have to look at the last game and, you know, how the Bills couldn't get get points on the board against a very average 
Chiefs defense, and I and I call the Bills defense very average too. You know, it's uh, it, it was concerning, and they ran the ball, and Edwards Alaire had 161 yards. Now Edwards Alaire is might not be a key to this game. He might not even play this game. So that's got you thinking too. You know, I mean, uh, Le'Veon Bell doesn't look like the Le'Veon Bell from three years ago. You know, I don't know where that guy came went went. Maybe just you know the age of running backs and the speed goes down, especially if you're not playing for a while. That could have happened. Um, we'll see what happens here. Darren Williams is going to probably get a big bolt to the carries. I was possibly looking at a Chiefs prop for the rushing yards, but I might just cancel that out, especially if the Bills are putting up some points. But one thing I do like, Adam, is a prop play on Josh Allen. I think he's going to get over his rushing yards. If you look at the last game that they even lost in, he had eight rushes for 42 yards, right? His is no way his yards total is going to be even near that. It's probably going to be more like 15 to 20. I think that being this is such a big spot for the Bills to get to the Super Bowl, the last thing Josh Allen's going to want to do is throw a bunch of picks, right? Especially in the first half. And that's kind of what makes me lean to the first half under. But what he will do is when those guys are covered, the honey badger lurking out there, he's going to run the ball. He's going to run the ball and extend the plays and get those yards, just like you see the best quarterbacks do in this league. I'm going to take Josh Allen over his rushing yards. I think that makes sense. You know, I mean, you sort of think about the progression of Lamar Jackson during the regular season here this year. And it was one of those things early on in the year where whether he was instructed to or just, you know, kind of making some business decisions, he really didn't run the football a ton early in the year, comes back from COVID, kind of gets his legs under him. And then all of a sudden Baltimore is in this, oh shit, we got to win every game kind of mode. Then all of a sudden he starts taking off a lot more. And and I think mobile quarterbacks really have a strong gauge on that to the point where this is win or go home. So it's no longer about protecting your body. It's no longer about, you know, worrying about the next week or anything like that. I do think that the mentality does shift when you are a mobile quarterback capable of taking the football down and running with it a little bit. Mahomes may not be able to do that because of the health of his foot. I think Allen may end up having to do that because, you know, he does have weapons. He does have a lot of options, but as we talked about already, they can't run the football. So really, he's kind of the guy that runs the football for them. So I think that's a strong look on your part there, Kev. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Well, that's probably my, my strongest side because you have to admit, I mean, these are some pretty sharp lines as they are, you know? I mean, my power rings does have it a five-point favorite, but that's, you know, people are looking at it a lot of different ways. Uh, to be honest with you. I mean, think about it. It's it's four if Mahomes is 100%. So it's not for, that far sure. off. For sure. For sure. And if the chiefs are, haven't been burning everybody's money the last eight to 10 weeks, it'd probably be five anyway. Right. So, uh, you know, there you go. That's how you have it. The market said it. So playoffs, anything goes, I don't like any first half bet here. I know the bills are great at starting the first half, but it's the chiefs at home. I'm going to stay away from that part. I kind of like the Chiefs' side, the Josh Allen rushing props are probably my strongest takes. I think this one probably even would have gotten bet to four and a half. If, if it did open four with a healthy Mahomes, I think it probably would have gone up a little bit. So I think you're definitely, you know, in line there with, with the numbers that you have. If, you know, this game was played with Mahomes healthy. So, you know, I think that uh, obviously it's one of those things where you factor that into your handicap, but it's not going to be something that you adjust your model based on because the fact of the matter is, we don't know to what degree Mahomes is healthy. He could come out there, run around, look perfectly fine. Chances are he doesn't, but you know, still that's part more of the handicapping process 
than anything else there for that one. All right, so let's go over and talk some college basketball here on today's show. And one talking point that we didn't get to last week, just with uh, going a little bit long on the divisional round games in the NFL, conference specialization. You know, I know that you have your own website, theoddsbreakers.com. It's not your full-time day job. You actually do have one of those. I do a lot of content creation. I don't have time, and most people don't have time, to know 353 teams. There's, what, 32 college basketball conferences, I think, something like that. It's hard to know everybody, but it can be easier to know a conference inside and out, and it feels like you dedicate a lot of your time personally, Kiev, to specializing in some conferences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I probably just to the sports handicapping, betting and podcasting, I'm probably 50 hours a week right there, you know, just just that itself and uh, throwing on the other hats I wear. I actually wear a couple different hats, you know, and that's just what I think most people do. Some people have rental houses, you know, some people have uh, side jobs, side companies, you know, not to mention kids. Okay. Yeah. I have a few of those myself. So, so uh, my, my day is full of fun and Adam, but uh, uh, conference specialization is so important, especially if you're a guy like me that uh, is a content creator, just like you said, and, uh, and you just don't have a bunch of time. You have to look at it this way here. Um, How are you going to beat the market? If you don't know as much as the market, think about it. If there's people that went to college in Vermont. There's people that went to college in the America East Conference and they sports bet, right? They sports bet plenty, just like people that go to any, every single conference, right? They are the ones that somewhat set the market within their own little niche, right? So, and when Vegas puts out those feeler lines, it, they're low limits. Well, they get adjusted by these people. You're going to put yourself against somebody that went to Vermont in that conference and knows the names of the players there and knows the names of the coaches and knows exactly how they play and who beat each other the last three years in a row. You want to do that for every single conference. God bless you. But, to, but it, it, that's what makes it so hard to beat the market. The market is going to be better than you unless you focus all your time on one specialization. That's important. And I'm not saying you can't bet other games. You just got to do some serious deep dives when you do, because you're going to miss something and you're going to think the market's off, but then later you might think the market's right. You know, after you lose the bet, of course. So uh, conference specialization, I can't stress hard enough, Adam, how important that is. I think it's critically important too, because, you know, this is a talking point that Kyle Hunter and I discussed on Monday's show you know, like we were talking about Murray State, for example, in their game on Thursday night against Jacksonville State. If you don't handicap the OVC regularly, you're going to see Murray State, and you're going to see Murray State probably a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite, something like that, against Jacksonville State. And you're going to go, oh, I remember Murray State. That line looks short. I'm going to go ahead and take that. And the fact of the matter is, Murray State's not a very good team this year. That line is is probably pretty accurate. So, It's one of those things where if you specialize, and particularly in the mid and low majors, you're going to know year in and year out, is that team that was really good two years ago still good now? Maybe not. But the rest of the market's going to sit there and say, oh, I remember when that team played in the NIT, or I remember when that team got their shot in the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah, they were in that play-in game out of the MEAC or whatever. Oh, that line looks short. 
you know, when you specialize in a conference, specifically the mid and low majors, you're going to know a lot more about where those teams currently stand and not just bet them based on their reputation or bet them based on whatever the Ken Palm number is or the Torvik number or, or whatever else. You're going to have a more intimate knowledge of that conference. And, and like Kyle and I said on Monday's show when we were talking about you know the Southland and the SWAC and some of these really small conferences, the money spends the same and the money is probably easier to earn in those low and mid majors. Yeah, absolutely. And Kyle is somebody that has the time to go into a lot of those conferences. But Kyle even tells me himself that he doesn't do all of them, you know. And uh, when it comes to the totals market, which Kyle, you know, studies, and that's most of his bets by far is the totals. Um, it, it's a little bit, it's easier to do just based upon some of the metrics that you can get rather than ATS. Because if you go into ATS, you really have to study what happened in the past. Why is this team bad at this arena? Who's out this game? Who's the matchup? Where's the matchup difference? Maybe one team is only six, five, six, six in their forward position. And the other team is six, 10, you know, they they're bad against six other six, 10 guys, but they'll just, they can't be stopped against shorter people. That's the thing that makes ATS so important. And that's what makes, what makes conference specialization more important. You know, we talk about Murray state, no job Morant, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, if, if you, you should be kicking yourself if you're blindy, but in Murray state, uh, based upon what they did a couple years ago. And uh, uh, great point there on that as well. So uh, like you said, get involved in what you think you want to know. What's going to what's gonna give you enjoyment watching? What do you watch? Do you watch the ACC? Do you watch the, the Big East? Do you watch the Pac-12? I, I, do that. Try to start there and drop, try to broaden your horizons from there. So I guess that's, you know, sort of what you like to do. And which conferences do you feel like you specialize in? The Big Ten. The Big Ten, for sure. In the Big Ten, I'm a, I'm a Badger alumni. I went to school at Wisconsin. Uh, it's the games I watch, and uh, it's the games I study. You know, I always do a Big Ten breakdown for football and basketball before the season starts. I talk about there's new coaches. I talk about the new players that are coming into starting positions. I talk about the recruiting rankings. I talk about where they did ATS the year before, you know, and try to kind of bring everything into perspective as a nice preview. And uh, I pay attention to the big 10 and I know it's not the easiest because it's not the, you know, you're probably going to focus on like the, the Metro Atlantic conference and, and, and do a, a lot better because less people pay attention to it, but at the same time, it's what I enjoy. And I seem to do better in the big 10 than anything else. You know, and I'll never forget. And I'm, I'm curious about this answer for you. I know you've lived out West for a little while now. I'm not sure exactly how long you have, but one of the things I remember from the show, when we used to have Ralph Michaels on uh, from wagertalk.com, you know, he, he used to live in this area, in this Cleveland area, and he moved out to Las Vegas. And now of course does all the stuff with wager talk. And He made it a point to say, you know, now I can watch every game. You know, these games aren't on from 10 to 12 or 1030 to 1230, you know, Eastern time. Now I'm able to watch these games. So it kind of helped him in terms of handicapping the Pac-12 and the Mountain West and the Big West and the Big Sky. And, you know, some of those conferences that play those night games that, you know, on the East Coast, you probably don't really wind up seeing. So with you out there in that Western part of the U.S. as well, Kiev, is that something you feel like, you know, you've kind of either developed a little bit more proficiency with or just kind of follow a little bit more closely some of those conferences that are out that way? Oh, yeah. I watch some BYU games, you know. I, I watch them at night. The West Coast Conference, I've uh, delved in a little bit. And I'm not saying that I'm like, 
putting a ton of bets on there because there's people that know more about the West Coast Conference, San Francisco, Santa Clara, you know, teams like that. Gonzaga's out here. That's fun, right? Gonzaga. But, um, you know, I, it, the fact that I get to watch a little bit more, I'll find a few nuggets, you know, within some of these games and then I'll apply it. And then uh, sometimes it'll work out for me well. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you have to make sure that you dig deep enough to beat the market. So how much time do you want to spend on one game? Somebody who watches a conference religiously does not have to spend as much time as somebody who doesn't. It's just the way it is. There's so many things to look at when it comes to handicapping a game. And I think another thing that conference specialization affords you know, handicappers and betters is that, you know, we talk all the time about the importance of closing line value. You know, we talk about how it's the best indicator that we have of future success. There's inherently a lot of variance in sports, specifically in college basketball, where scoring is done by ones, twos, and threes. You know, you get a lot of those bad beats that everybody remembers and all that. Obviously, Kansas and Baylor won, you know, here from this week. But if you specialize in a conference, you'll be able to play more of those overnights. You know, you're not trying to handicap a board of 75 games on game day. You're in that one conference and you have the chance to really narrow your focus and have an idea of not maybe not where those numbers should be, but where those numbers are likely to go and get some closing line value out of the process. So I think that's also, you know, a big helping point with conference specialization is that you're not looking at that conference among 75 other games where the market's already moved a little bit. You can take some stronger positions on the overnights where, yeah, limits are smaller. Most of us listening to the show are not limit betters anyway, but, you know, you can get out there and get into that immature market, try to get in front of the line move, as opposed to playing catch up the next day. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. That's, that's so important these days to hit those markets. And I can tell you what a lot of things have been doing. A lot of, what a lot of, a lot of unders are getting hit early. It used to be, you bet your unders late. Well, it takes a while, sometimes to the very beginning of the game for that under to come back up. It's, it's just, a, it's a nice little U-shaped, you know, the unders are going down and they're going up in general. And if you specialize on a conference, like what you're saying you already know what the number should be. And sometimes you see some serious discrepancies that if you wait for an even better number, some other people that are as smart as you are going to jump on it. You know, you got to know when to fire and you got to know uh, you have to have a number and you have to be confident about it. You know, and there's, you also have to lay off. There's times to lay off. There's times that you have to say, okay, well, I was really close on this one. It even moved a little bit farther away from me. I'm passing. I mean, passing and leaving a dead duck off your card is so important to your uh to your long-term gains yeah i mean it it sounds like a really obvious point but it's not a bad point to drive home that leaving a game off the board is a hell of a lot better than losing a game i mean there's no doubt about that again it sounds very obvious but you know it's why you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you're an action junkie or you know trying to do too much um you know that's why conference specialization narrows your focus kind of gets you into the mindset of sort of a less is more approach. And you know, I think it is something that you can have a lot of success with And Speaking of that conference specialization here, let's take a look at the big 10, just sort of the overall picture. And then also a few games here coming up two on Thursday night, one on Friday night. And before we get into those games specifically, you texted me early in the week that there were some trends, some conference observations for the big 10 that you wanted to mention on today's segment. 
Yeah, I, I certainly did. And, and from an ATS perspective, we'll, we'll obviously go with the Big Ten. Uh, it's pretty close. Uh, 92, 86, and 7, these teams are. You know, there's the, certainly no was no edge here if you were blindly betting uh, dogs, especially, or if you're blindly betting overs here. You know, you're literally right around 50 and a half, 51% here. The interesting thing to me is the totals. Uh, the Big Ten is 103 and 80 to the over 103 80 and two right that's 56.2 percent to the over the reason why is because last year the big 10 went on a huge undertrend right a huge undertrend so part of that u-shape that i was talking about had to do with the big 10 conference the lines would come out people are handling hammering the under well in the big east that might be working but it's not working in the Big Ten because people are doing that are losing their place because the Big Ten has been so far an over type conference for the uh, the game's bet. So I definitely wanted to mention that. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into what's going on, you probably want to look at some of the trends that's happening in the conference itself. I everyone thinks that Iowa is a great over team. They are the biggest. In the Big Ten discrepancy, 10 and 4, which is something like 72% ish to the over. But if you look at Iowa in conference games, they are three and four, three overs and four unders. So you got to pick your spots with Iowa. They are certainly doing different in conference, you know, and uh, I think that's very important. You have to look at what these teams are doing within the conference themselves. Indiana, believe it or not, is five and two to the over, right? People look at Indiana as an under team. They are five and two. Maryland, five, two, and one to the over. You know, so very, very important to specialize on conferences and find this stuff out because, uh, you know, some teams are playing a little bit faster than you thought they were. And some teams are hitting more shots than you thought they were. You know, Maryland has a good defense. Everyone saw them beat Wisconsin, and that game went dead under. Well, <laughs> they also are able to give up a ton of points to when teams actually can shoot correctly, and uh, and they're also playing some pace in the uh, second half when they are down. So, therefore, Maryland's been a good conference over team as well, even though they are, aren't looked at as a uh, overs team. Well, I think another thing about the Big Ten, why, you know, you you wind up thinking about this as such an overconference is that this conference has the lowest turnover percentage on offense and the third lowest turnover percentage on defense. So teams aren't losing their possessions a whole lot in this conference. And this is a very efficient conference from an offensive standpoint. Number one in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Bart Torvik. Number two in effective field goal percentage, trailing only the Missouri Valley Conference, which is pretty interesting in and of itself there. Uh, But this is a conference that, as a whole, shooting 35.4% from three. Now, again, that's in all games, not just in conference games. But you see that teams take good care of the basketball in this conference, and they don't force a whole lot of turnovers. So that kind of lends itself towards the over when you've got some very efficient offenses in play. A few games great, to talk. Great, great point, Adam. And let me let me piggyback on that a little bit. For some reason, the Big Ten this year, these better teams have like three to five people 
their tall guys are hitting three-pointers. Literally, you, you don't have to just worry them worry about them at the paint. You have to worry about them at the arc. I mean, that's why you're getting so many points. They're just popping threes. And I think that's a big part of the Big Ten being the best conference of basketball. So we take a look at a few games here for the rest of this week. And, and we start with one in the Big Ten between Rutgers and Penn State. And these are always interesting games to me because – when you have teams on a heater, something like that, you know, their their perception gets inflated in the market. Their lines get inflated a little bit. People sort of want to ride that wave. Well, Penn State, they dropped their fifth straight game last night to the Illinois Fighting Illini by 14. They did lose to Indiana in overtime, but you know, really, this is a team that just they, they can't get wins. They can't get enough stops on defense. They've had a big problem with that. Rutgers has dropped four in a row, five of the last six. So Two teams right now that I think betters are going to look at and say, well, I don't really want to play on either one of them. Uh, you know, do you see what, obviously one of these losing streaks has to end coming up here on Thursday night. Do you see a side that you kind of like here thinking about the game on a grander scale between Rutgers and Penn state? Absolutely. There is a side that I'm going to be taking. And I think Rutgers losing streak ends right here. I think what people have to look at. And when you know about these conferences and watch the games, Rutgers has had some injuries, some serious injuries to Clifford Omayuri, Mawat Mag, and Geo Baker and Ron Harper have been banged up bad for stretches. There's some games I don't even think they should have been playing here, but they have because, you know, they're low on players. You know, I, Mirion Jones uh, for Penn State is like their only player that I can trust. I mean, the rest of the guys – maybe Sam Sessions, but they're just, they're just average at best players, you know, and I do not like what Jim Ferry's doing over there. Jim Ferry had no success when he was at Duquesne a few years back. I, I think the coaching was a downgrade at Penn state and you're seeing them get beat pretty bad. So you think that there might not be some value here, but Rutgers is a desperate team here and they're finally getting healthy. Omer Yuri is back. His first game was against Wisconsin. He wasn't able to do a ton, but Miles Johnson was having to take over for everything that, you know, he couldn't do because he was out. Miles Johnson was playing too many minutes. Miles Johnson was getting to foul trouble. Well, now he's got Omer Yuri back to play the middle. So this is a spot where I definitely want to be on Rutgers. Now, Ken Palm's going to have this line at one or two points they right now they say that it's 72 to 71 I, I'm not going by that I think you're gonna it's going to be about three points come the morning time and I even like this uh past the three not real far past the three but I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that if you can get under three on Rutgers God bless you here but this Penn State is still a fade team for me and uh I, I just think they lost too much last year you know, when guys like Mike Watkins left, when Lamar Stevens left, the heart and soul of this Penn State team. So I will be on Rutgers. Another game here on Thursday night, Indiana and Iowa. And we talked on Monday with Kyle Hunter, who we've referenced a few times here throughout the show. I asked him about the three teams that were in Bart Torvik's top 49 that were outside of the top 100 in adjusted defensive efficiency. One was LSU. We all saw what happened last night. They gave up a hundred burger to Alabama. Another is UCLA. And the other one is Iowa. Iowa 114th per Torvik in adjusted defensive efficiency. 
but the top offensive team in all of college basketball. They host Indiana here on Thursday night. And for Iowa, I just talked about it. Teams in the Big Ten don't force turnovers. Iowa's turnover percentage on defense the last two games, under 10%, but they've scored 86 and 96 points anyway. What do you think about this Thursday night game here where Indiana goes to Iowa? Well, Iowa, man, they are, they're such a force this year. I mean, if they just had a little bit better of a defense, they probably could have hung with Gonzaga, but I don't know who's going to stop Iowa when they're hitting, you know, the, the way to stop Iowa is you have to really get them out of their game. They get back in transition so fast you have to frustrate him. You have to go back to that boring defense, hold the ball, make your final shot with six seconds left in the shot clock. They're going to run it on you and they're probably going to score some points, but you got to hope that they're not going to get hot. You know, <laughs> maybe Gonzaga and Baylor are the only ones I really trust to play Iowa. And Baylor is just one of those own, <laughs> one of their own teams that plays amazing defense and plays fast. Baylor has just been amazing to me, but that's a different story. Uh, Iowa's got that motion offense. They also have the size with Garza down low. They kind of remind me of a faster playing version of the 2014-15 Badgers with Sam Decker and Frank Comiskey there. You know, Garza has just been an absolute beast down low, and he makes it so that motion works so well because they're getting some of those offensive rebounds when they're missing shots. They're a fantastic three-point team. You got five or six guys that can shoot the three here. I think the trick to beating Iowa is you really got to guard the perimeter a bit, and then you got to try to get back down low when they're using all that motion. And, uh, you know, most of the time you're probably not going to win, but slow the game down, frustrate them, get them out of their groove, and then you have a shot against Iowa. I don't know if Indiana's got it in them to do it, Adam, but I will tell you that this is going to be a massive 10-point spread in the Big Ten. And these 10-point spreads, whew, I, it, it's tough to do, but then Iowa's one of those teams that can cover them because of the play, pace that they play. Indiana's got this game circled. Indiana's coming off a loss against Purdue, and Purdue shot lights out, 81-69. I'm going to lean to Indiana right now but I'm not sure I'm going to be involved in this game. Seven games in conference play here so far for Indiana and opponents have made 40.4% of their three-point attempts. So Indiana not guarding the perimeter well, which as you mentioned, a key to playing against Iowa. So you know we'll see if maybe that kind of levels off in line for possibly some positive regression here, but uh, Indiana definitely will have their hands full on Thursday night. One more game that I want to get to here, and this one's for Friday night with you, Kiev. Michigan and Purdue and a great call by you last week on the show. I asked if there was any way in hell you could take Minnesota after Michigan's big performance against Wisconsin. You said you could, you said you would, and Minnesota wins that game outright by 18 points. Michigan, like nothing happened, goes back and beats Maryland by 24 at home. Now they head to Purdue and the Boilermakers off of a big win against Ohio state last night. What are you thinking about this one here between the Wolverines and the Boilermakers? Yeah, I really regret not betting Michigan uh, last night. It, I was close, but I, I, I decided not to do it. I had some other plays and I left a winner on the table. And, uh, um, you know, I always talk about leaving losers on the table. If you, In hindsight, I didn't handicap it properly and I should have looked more at the spot here. But uh, Purdue, 
their their defense is showing extremely well but i just don't know how that is you know it's uh i i feel like they're getting a lot of open shots they're shooting the three really well that this kid named ivy Jaden Ivy, a freshman, is doing way better than I thought they would have. They bring in Zach Edney, this dude that's seven four, kind of like the Harms from last year, right? He's taking his position. He's a freshman. He gets probably, you know, what a third of the minutes, you know, I would say, maybe like 17, 18 minutes a game, uh, possible. So Edney's just been a hard, hard to stop down down low. Travion Williams is Travion Williams. He's an absolute beast. You know, Purdue's just doing fantastic, but there's just something about Purdue that they can get really cold, and and I don't love to bet on them. You know, Purdue, they're playing Michigan, man. Michigan, like you said, top two, top three in the Big Ten. I would argue they're still top two, possibly even the best team. Look what they did to Maryland, you know. Uh, Illinois wasn't exactly who I thought, but they did took care of business too yesterday. But uh, Michigan tricks people. They play pretty fast, but their defense is so good. That's how they can get some of those unders. It's just because they're just playing great defense. You know, they're 135th in average possession length, which is high for the Big Ten. But, you know, that's what Michigan does. They, 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 they defend people extremely well. One thing about Purdue that shocks me, um, they're turning over the ball in big 10 conference play at 18.7 turnovers per, per uh, percentage. So that's high. I mean, that's, that's 13th in the big 10. That's almost last. You know, if you look at them just throughout the uh, all of college basketball, like on Ken Palm, they're about in the middle they rank 175th in turnover percentage, but they will turn the ball over, and that's what Michigan's going to do. They're going to take the ball away from Purdue. This could be a short, another short uh, road uh, road uh, favorite here. They're going to be probably about two or three points against Purdue. Um, Purdue hasn't shown me that they're uh, that they're that great of a team yet. I think they're a little bit fraudulent. I think some teams that they play are just uh, having bad games. If you look at Purdue. Uh, I think the real Purdue is the team that lost by 15 when they scored 55 at Iowa, the team that lost to Rutgers when Rutgers was banged up, you know, the team that lost to Illinois, the team that lost to Miami for Christ (laughs) crying out loud. I think that uh, I'm going to be on Michigan in this game too. Kev O'Neill, your website is the oddsbreakers.com. You've got your own podcast and you're doing a lot of great content over there as well. How can people find you and how can people find the work over there? Well, you can follow us on Twitter at The Odds Breakers. Follow me at OB Kiev. You can check us out at The Odds Breakers. We have a ton of free plays. We have handicappers that come on, give out some free plays. Uh, obviously, listen to the podcast. See if you like it. We also have premium customers that are uh, just, they sponsor us by uh, supporting us through monthly. And when they do that, I give them my plays and just how I play them. I send them out as I bet. So uh, people enjoy that. And uh, uh, just trying to create a nice, little happy family over there and uh it's always about uh, uh giving people as much information as possible just like this great podcast ats.io well i certainly appreciate that make sure you follow kev on twitter make sure you follow the odds breakers on twitter as well kev o'neill from the odds breakers thank you so much for joining me here again this week man and we'll talk to you again next week have a great weekend adam there you go there's kev o'neill once again the oddsbreakers.com is the website follow them on twitter at the odds breakers Coming up on our Thursday edition of the show, professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com will join me 
Uh, not sure what I'm going to do yet on Friday to finish out the week, but we'll have some kind of content for you here uh, to get our full five shows. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.